0: uh to christmas i'm am I'm a, you but if you've been in this church for more than since last december you would know i'm a fan of christmas uh, i am like a kid in a candy store at christmas time uh, so that's oh, that that's exciting for me um Nick spoke about culture Uh, You mentioned culture, I spoke about culture A, A culture of an organization should be two things It should be authentic and it should be aspirational In other words, it should speak to who you are currently That's authentic And it should be aspirational It should speak to who you want to be Who you want to become, right? It's not only authentic It also should be future orientated Who you want to become, aspirational and one of our cultures is that we are contributors, we're not consumers. So everything that's every meeting that I go into, every person um, that I'm interacting with, I'm not thinking in that instance, what can I get from this? My mindset is, what can I contribute to this? What can I give to this, All Right? We are contributors, not consumers. And this morning, we've got four contributors. Four contributors who haven't come this morning to consume. They have come with a mindset to contribute. And we, we want to celebrate those things. That's, that, is a, that is a good thing when, when people um, are immersed in the culture of a family. So you might have heard us speaking about sevens. You might have heard us use the word sevens a couple of times. Um, what it is, we've got four people preaching seven minutes each this morning. People that have not preached in this church before, uh, people that we trust, people that uh, we, we've spent the last month um, refining some material that they've sent through. We've spent some time um, looking at marks, looking at lights, uh, going through some stuff. I've got to tell you, I've been ministered to, as we went through material together, and then I, I sat through the sermons on Thursday nights as we as we had a run through, I've been ministered to. I'm incredibly excited for this morning. Um, so when, we, when I was putting together the preaching roster a couple of months ago for the rest of the year, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm wanting to get a couple of new guys to preach. What can I give them to preach? And... Um, so we've got sevens this week, and got, there's a week in December that we've got, that we've got another four guys preaching seven, seven minutes each, and I've asked all four of them to share just an, an encounter with Jesus. So take a scripture uh, where Jesus has an encounter with a person, and uh, teach us just teach us on that encounter with Jesus. So you've seen my face more than enough. Uh, without any further ado, we've got the, the four guys preaching this morning, and you will notice who they are by how they're dressed right? <laughs> the, we went through everything, everything, everything. And then this morning, I got a message early. What must we wear? I was like, ah, I forgot to speak about dress. And I can remember the, the first time I preached at church, uh, I walked into, and somebody said, somebody greeted me at the front and said, are you preaching today? And I was like, is it, is it that obvious? <laughs> so I said, okay, you need to dress smart enough that you don't uh, that you don't stand out for being sloppy, but not so smart that you stand out for being smart. Then I thought, no, that's a little bit ambiguous. So I said, dress as if you're going for dinner with your friends. Sent that, and I, that's also a little bit ambiguous. So I said, you know what? Just wear shoes. <laughs> Make sure you wear shoes, then you're fine. <laughs> then you're fine. So we've got four guys this morning. Sheldon, Stevenson, Hannah, Shepard, Willem, Vanneberg, and Nashara Pillay. Um, Willem is starting us off Come, Villi, Villi leads our youth Willi <laughs> and Cam lead our youth uh, Cam was on stage this morning And uh, again, these are men and women All that we trust They're good men and women Go for it
1: Thanks, John Awesome Thank you, thank you, Anthem For letting me share this morning I'll just get straight into it. An encounter with Jesus. One word from Jesus is all it takes to change your whole world. I want to share with you today about a man that encountered Jesus, and his name is Nathaniel. So I don't know if you guys have heard of him before, but have you ever heard of the phrase, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, that was Nathaniel. He was that guy. (laughs) He was a little bit skeptical about Jesus and him being the Messiah. And so, until he met, uh, met him, and so we're going we're gonna to look at his, his life. So he was one of Jesus' disciples, and we're going to look at his encounter with God, then I will share a story from my own life, and then we'll close with two practical points quickly. So we catch up with Nathaniel before he meets Jesus. He's at a fig tree, and he's searching and, and looking for, uh, for God, and um, the Jewish Jewish traditions talk about the fig tree being a place of studying the Scripture or searching. So he was searching for God, asking God, and he maybe had not received um, his answer yet. And so maybe there's some of us here tonight that are in a similar place, I mean this morning, that are in a similar place, We've, we're searching for God, we're seeking God, but we haven't received an answer yet. Let's look at his, uh, at his, at his story. So then... We go to Nathaniel. He leaves the, the tree behind and is invited by Philip to meet a Jesus of Nazareth. So we read in John 1, verse 45 from the New King James Version. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Here we see how Nathaniel is known by God. He knows his story. God knows what he's like and where he comes from. Jesus knows that he's an, an Israelite and that he has an, an integrous heart. And, God, and Jesus calls that out in him. He sees past the skepticism and calls it out in him. He says to him, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Sometimes we can feel like God is not hearing when we need Him most, but He's there. He's listening. When Nathanael was under the fig tree, he might have felt like he was seeking and seeking, but that God was not answering. But, but Jesus was there. He heard and he saw. It says, Philip, Philip, before Philip called you, he says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. From time to time, we can feel alone as if God doesn't know us, but he does. He created us and he knows us. Jesus calls Nathanael an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me? In one moment, Nathaniel changes from a skeptic to a follower. That's the power of one word from Jesus. One life changing moment for me, similarly, came when I was praying and asking God. I was about 19 years old and I was seeking God and asking Him about my future and what I must do. And I was praying and fasting. And by the second day of fasting I was, and praying, I hadn't received anything yet and I was still seeking God. Um, and on the third day, God encountered me and, and He gave me a very powerful word out of Hosea. And I can still remember it like yesterday where I was like flat on my face in, uh, um, in, in my prayer room. And God, and as God's presence just filled the, the room where I was sitting and He gave me a very powerful word. Um, out of the book of Isaiah, and this bo- um, and the book of Isaiah speaks about God's love affair with His bride, right? And so, just like Nathaniel knew uh, Jesus knew Nathaniel, He knows me, and He knows my personality. He knows that I'm a hopeless romantic, so I love picking my wife flowers in the mountains, and <laughs> and um, and my favorite movie of all time is La La Land, which is. <laughs> Which is like a musical and it's very artsy and rom- romantic and out there. So, so God spoke to so because God knows me, He spoke to me in the way that I understand. And so He speaks to He spoke to me about His love relationship with His bride. And so in uh, the word He gave me is Isaiah Hosea verse two Hosea two verse twenty and it says, "I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord." Um, yeah, it's just so powerful. And and God says. So God says that we are His bride and that He will always be faithful even when we are unfaithful. Um, And this word has been an anchor in my life and has steadied me in numerous seasons. So one word from God can change you from a skeptic to a believer. One moment when God speaks, speaks to you can change your life forever. He has a word for you this morning, Azul. And it blows my mind when I think about it the fact that the creator of the universe would care enough about me to know where I was sitting when I had my fig tree moment. When, I, when he would come to me, that he would spend his time showing himself to me. He's God. He doesn't need to show himself. He doesn't need to come and speak to me. He doesn't need to explain himself, but he does. So why Jesus would take the time to know Nathaniel, to know me, and to come and speak to me, to speak to me in a way that makes sense to me. He's the only one that could know me that deeply. And he's, he knows my name. He knows my temperament. He knows my personality. So, two takeaways from, this, from this, this message. Keep seeking Jesus, number one. If you've asked him to speak to you, keep seeking. It's on the third day of me fasting and praying that I only heard from him. He's still, like we were singing, the same God. He's still listening. He's still speaking today. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And number two. So number one, keep seeking. And number two, tell someone. Philip invites Nathaniel to come and see. Don't keep your testimony to yourself. Tell someone about it. Invite someone to ch- to come and see what Jesus is doing and through in and through his church. Amen.
0: Come Han.
2: <laughs>
0: this is Hannah Shepard. Uh, Hannah is a daughter of this house. Uh, and she's one of our youth leaders. Hannah that's it.
3: Good morning. So I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought about you need to do something, but you're kind of on the fence about it, but you decide to do it anyway? And afterwards you're like, yes, that was the best decision I've made thus far. Has that happened to you? This also happened to me. In 2019, I had the opportunity to go to New Zealand for three months to ref touch rugby. At the beginning, I wasn't skeptical, but I was excited. I was like, yeah, this will be fun. You know go to a different country, it'll be fun, mostly about fun. And then halfway through, I realized it wasn't about me, but about God and how he wants to set me up for my future. To be honest, when I went there, I went to learn the rules so I could bend them. But then I realized playing by the rules is so much better, and I became a referee. God used me and my abilities and my resources in a way I could have never imagined. And we're going to look at how Jesus uses some fishermen's abilities and resources in a way they could have never imagined. We're going to pick up from Luke 5, verse 1 to 4, and it says, One day, Jesus was preaching on the shores of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And from this encounter, we can see a few things. Firstly, there were a lot of people around Jesus. I don't like being around crowds, they freak me out, so I would not have coped very well. And I can imagine Jesus being so much more popular than me, having so much more people around him, and him being overwhelmed. You can also imagine him wanting a bit of space. If I was in his situation, you know, I would have gone up a bank, stood on higher ground so everyone could see me better. I'm not as smart as Jesus, clearly. He went and stood in a boat. Jesus chose to use Simon's vessel to teach. Secondly, we can see he uses a fishing boat. It's probably a normal boat maybe a little bit scratched, dented, but it was ordinary. But from that boat, Jesus changed the lives of the fishermen. In Luke 5, verse 10, he says, His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid, for I will make you fishers for people. Thirdly, we see the fishermen. Now these fishermen, strong tough, hardy men, you know, work all night, don't get much sleep, poor weather conditions, they can handle it all. Now that we know who they are, we can see in verse 4, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. They probably didn't say it this way because they were hardy men, but they were like, you are a carpenter. We are fishermen. You do not know what is in there because there isn't anything in there. There, There's no point. No. But instead, they were like, okay, we'll, we'll try, we'll try. And the catch of fish begins to tear their nets because they had faith. So, if you were counting, there are three main features. Jesus, the boat, and the fishermen. And from this we can see that God asks us to build his kingdom with what we have in our hands. When we allow God to work through us, we can achieve infinitely more than we think we can. If we look at my journey, before I told you what I have, would you think that being a, a referee is a suitable way to live? Especially in South Africa? No. No. But, but here's the great part in trusting God. We don't need to know where our future is. Because he has plans and purposes for us, plans to give us hope and a future. In Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven. God is using my boats and my refereeing abilities to further his kingdom. For me, that looks like being an ambassador of Christ, conducting my way myself in ways that stand out from others and showing people who my strength is. When we listen to God and what he is calling us to do, let's listen. Don't stand on the bank when he's calling you to stand in a boat. If Jesus hadn't gone into the boat, he wouldn't have made Simon and James his first disciples. My testimony won't look like this if it wasn't for a friend listening to God. You'd think it's plain sailing going to New Zealand, but it wasn't. There were only supposed to be two people going, and I was the third. But you know... We persisted, we were like, if we pay my way there, could I still come, please? And the guys organizing it were like, uh, maybe, let us think about it. So they prayed about it, and they felt like God telling them, this is the right move. So I went over, and our lives were changed. When God tells you to do something, give someone a lift, give a friend some extra groceries or give a coworker a word, go and do it. If you don't, you're not letting God work through you, and you could be robbing someone of understanding their purpose. You see, the fishermen, like all of us, have a God-given purpose, which is to lead people to God. That is the Great Commission, to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's in Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Jesus used their boat to help them understand what their purpose was and to set them on a path. I figured out my purpose in 2019, which is not to be the best ref ever, but to use my refing and the places all go to be an ambassador of Christ. My idea of what I want to do with my life, I hold very loosely, because the only person who actually knows what's going to happen is God. So I do what he tells me and I listen to what he says. What job you guys have isn't your purpose, but it is how you show people around you how God can work through you. Now, I would ask you to do three things this week, but most of you wouldn't listen, so I'm now going to challenge you to three things. The first one, let's think like Jesus. Step into the boat. Build God's kingdom with what he has given you. Number two, don't be afraid of his plans for you. Step into your purposes He has created for you. And lastly, have patience and allow God to work in His time. Amen.
0: Sheldon, still taking notes from Hannah? This is is Sheldon. Many of you will know Sheldon and his wife Taryn and their kids. Taryn's actually preaching in a couple of weeks' time. So she's also taking lots of notes today. Sheldon is a contractor. He's normally uh, in shorts and uh, side boots. Today he's a foreman. Longs and and pants. Go for it.
2: So good to be here. Thanks to my in-laws for being present and my wife. Um, Our encounter is found in John 2 uh, from verse 1 to 11. It's the story of Jesus turning water into wine. We'll read. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, clearly a problem, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each holds about 75 liters or 20 gallons. Jesus said, Fill them up. The servants filled them to the brim. Jesus replied, said to them, draw water out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did this. And the master of the banquet did not know where the water came from, the wine came from. Yet the servants did. Then the master of the banquet called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here, in Canaan of Galilee, was the first sign through which Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus says to Mary, my hour is not yet come. The message says it like this, what business is that of ours? He could have said, I don't feel comfortable doing that. What I see there is that it's not three things that, that normally come out, like the wedding, or the servants, or the wine. It's that we all have comfortable places we found ourselves in. There's always needs that are presented for opportunity. And action can lead to glory being revealed. So firstly, stepping out of our comfort. I see lots of places that I've got where I'm in comfortable positions. And Jesus was in comfort. In verse 4 we see that. But he still acted. He still turned the water into one. And he did that outside of his comfortable place. Often we can act to stay inside our comfort places. But there are still needs. If we step out of our comfortable places, Christ's glory can be revealed in others. What does that look like? It looks like a phone call from John and me standing on stage before you now. (laughs) Perhaps it's even a simple smile of welcome as people come in to the service in the morning or taking someone for coffee after the service that you probably don't know very well. We may never know how stepping out of our comfort places affects the lives of others. Secondly, in this passage we see that it's a rather lavish wedding, many people, lots of wine, or in this case, no more wine, and Mary says, finds out, mothers have this tech, makes it Jesus' problem. He could have stayed there and done nothing, but he didn't. And he turns water into wine, and not just any wine the best wine. Where are the wine deficits in our lives? Remembering that being present and bringing our talents creates God's wine. In verse 6, we see of the person translation, and that changed everything for Jesus. It changed nothing for Mary. What does that look like for us? Well, Rich and Jacks are sunning it up somewhere else. John and Nick are present. They may need a hand, and here I stand. <laughs> Jesus still performed the miracle. Thirdly, action. What does action look like? In construction, it's often about the results of what we build or demolish or do. The outcome of a plan or program that yields a desired achievement or result what are the results of us stepping out of comfort one is bringing glory to god we see that in the first half of verse 11 it's about revealing in physical form something of the character of christ the other thing is that it's that the disciples believed in jesus because of the miracle That sounds like salvation. So, a small act of moderate discomfort can lead to salvation. When we act in accordance with God's call or directing, there is a result every time. And as I close, Jesus was not intending to perform a miracle. He was content to keep enjoying the wedding. His mother sees the problem, relays it to Jesus, and wine is released, and belief is generated. We We may become more aware, may we become more aware of the possible necessary discomforts for the sake of those who need them. We could be bringers of wine to the wineless and hope to the hopeless with as little as a smile things for you to take away. What are the comforts that we can leave behind? Where are the wine deficits that we have around us? What action can reveal glory in others' lives? And Jesus can use any vessel. Amen.
0: Right. thanks sheldon it's excellent this is my friend nashara nashara and gavin joined the church nine months ten months a year ago a year ago they've been with us for a year they're in our life group they are beautiful a beautiful family and we're excited nashara hit us
4: Good morning, Anthem. We are talking about encounters with Jesus. Okay. (laughs) My text today is from Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This young man has become famous in the churches for all the wrong reasons. He epitomizes the evil of this age, choosing material wealth over the treasures of heaven. But can we pray to see more today? I see this man hearing about Jesus and something stirs within him. And he's running and he's kneeling before Jesus and pleading with him. How do I get to heaven? This man is just like you and me. In his heart, he knows this is the Messiah Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. But notice which ones he he mentions to him. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. These are all the relational commands. It involves our actions, our doing, how we treat others. But Jesus didn't ask him about the first four which revolves around honoring God and worshiping God above all else. Why? I think Jesus already knew that God did not have the highest place in this man's heart. But he chose to give him a chance to discover this truth. And so he tells him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. This is the test. And at this point, it seems like the young man has failed miserably. But I can't help to feel the warmth of this encounter. Verse 21 says, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, Something in this man touched the heart of Jesus, although he was so obviously flawed. Jesus was not rebuking him like he did the Pharisees. No. There is a tenderness in this encounter. Why then did Jesus ask such a high price of him? He didn't ask Peter to sell his boats. He was okay with Zacchaeus giving back half his wealth. This was not about the riches. This was all about what consumed his heart. I believe Jesus saw potential for greatness in this man. And he needed to show him what stood in the way of his destiny. When we truly encounter Jesus, our flaws are laid bare before him. We are naked We are vulnerable, and there's no place to hide. Like Isaiah, in the presence of God, we say, woe is me. I am undone. Friends, we don't talk about idolatry. We Christians, we don't have idols. But I dare us to take a closer look. We assume that idols are all bad things, but they are not. They can be good things that occupy the wrong place in our lives. Godly spouses are a good thing. Children, family, work, prosperity, these are all good things. But they become idols when they become the highest thing. This is a quotation from the book, Counterfeit Gods by Timothy Keller. And he answers the question, what is an idol? A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. These words scare me they shake me but they make me look at myself critically so that I don't lose my way I've had seasons of being stuck and not getting answers despite fasting and praying and worshiping and doing everything right but my breakthroughs always come when I break down like a child and cry in desperation help me Lord Show me what I'm not seeing. Then he comes. And he shows me the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there is always a repositioning of priorities. You can't escape that. Friends, regular self-examination in humility and honesty is an essential. Self-reflection is our friend. We cannot correctly position an idol that we cannot recognize. Don't be afraid to be broken. There is beauty. There is destiny in our brokenness. Ask yourself the important questions. What do you think about when your mind wanders unintentionally? What do you fear the most? What if you lose it? would make you feel ruined or make life feel worthless. As I conclude, I go back to my young man. And I don't believe that was the end for him. I read somewhere that Bible historians believe that this young man was actually Mark himself or even Barnabas, who sold his field and gave it to the church. I like that. It makes me happy. Friends, there may come a time when Jesus will ask us for more than we think we can give. When the cost may seem too high. And we may, like that young man, walk away disillusioned. But that is not the end of our story. The destiny written within us by the creator himself always finds a way. God does not give up on us. Can we not give up on ourselves? Amen.
0: Can you stand with me?